couple of days ago, my daughter Caitlin, 20 years old, came to me and said, Dad, you know how in my car that little light's always coming on telling me my tire's low? And she said, I've had to take it and get air put in it several times, and it's the back left tire, and I, it was just getting old. And so I took it to this one place, and the guy says, Well, tell you what, we can put something in there called super air, and you won't have that problem anymore. You'll never have a problem with your tire being low again. And I said, super air? What is that? I said, Caitlin, I know that sometimes they put nitrogen in your tires. Is that what you're talking about? She said, no, this guy said this is super air, and it's something new, and you can put it in your tires, and it won't never be low again. And I said, well, did you have it done? And she said, yeah. I had it done. She said it cost me $185. I said, $185 to put this air in your tire? I said, Caitlin, there's no such thing as super air. You got ripped off. Go get your keys. We're going to this place, and I'm going to have a word with this guy. And she said, okay, let me get my keys. And she turned and started to walk off, and then she turned around, and she said, I got you. <laughs> and she did. You know, for just a minute there, I was buying into this. After I thought about it, I said, there's no way she spent $185 on air. She's too tight for that. But, you know, sometimes we believe something. Somebody can talk us into believing something that's really not true. And then there are times when we don't believe things that we should believe that are true. I was reading this week about uh, the title of this article is Seeing Isn't Always Believing. And it's about a, a guy named John Rakoff. And Rakoff was working for a computer company in Japan in 1986. And this computer company came up with this idea that they were going to set up this networks program that if you have this program, then you could write a little short message to somebody and send it to their computer all the way across the world. And Rakoff says, that's crazy. Who would ever do that? That'd be a loser that would type into a computer some message and send it all the way around the world. So he got mad and he quit the company. Turns out that was the precursor to what we call the Internet and email. He was wrong. He should have believed. Look at the phenomenon that's become. And then there are other stories about Rakoff's life as well. In the 1980s, he went to a nightclub. He heard this little blonde girl from Michigan sing, and he thought, she's horrible. She's never going to make it in the music industry. Turns out her name was Madonna. And then there was a time he was working for a publishing company, and he got a manuscript from somebody trying to get a book published, and he read through it, and he rejected it. He said, no way we're going to publish this. This will never fly. It was a book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, Bestseller list in the 1990s sold 15 million copies. Turns out there's some things he should have believed that he didn't believe. And you know, we can be like that. We started this series a couple of weeks ago called Why I Believe. Because there are some things about God that maybe you get confused about and some things that we need to believe. And so we've gone through that why I believe God is creator. Why I believe the Bible is God's word. Why I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Today we're going to talk about why I believe the Holy Spirit is real. 
And I do believe that the Holy Spirit is real. Sometimes things, amazing things, can be right in front of us and we can fail to see their significance or believe that they're true. So here's the question we raise today. Why should I believe the Holy Spirit is real? You know, if you think about it, are we to believe that there are these spiritual beings out there, the Holy Spirit, that we are to believe that there are angels that are spiritual beings? Are we to believe that devil, Satan, is a real being, a spiritual being? And the Bible says he has angels and demons that work with him. Are we to believe that a man has a spirit inside of him? You know, the Bible teaches that we are two parts. We are our physical body, and we have a spirit inside of us. And the Bible says the spirit gives life to the human beings. Are we to believe these things? The Holy Spirit is one we're going to focus on today. And how should we involve Him in our lives if He is real? You know, too many people don't give the Spirit the credit that he deserves. Some people, even Christian people, don't even acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is alive, that he's well. You know, I read this week that uh, of all the Christian music there is, all the hymns and all the, um, all the praise songs and contemporary Christian songs, uh, Southern Wesleyan University did a study and they found out that only 5% of those songs include the word spirit. Now, if I'm not mistaken, all the songs that we've sung here this morning were strategically planned, and they all contain the idea of the Holy Spirit in them. But let's look into the Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 14 today. We're going to look at verses 25 through 27. It's on page 875 in your pew Bible. If you don't have the Bible on your phone or you didn't bring your own Bible, you might want to turn there. This is the fourth gospel, of course, the gospel of John. It's said of this book that it is a more spiritual gospel than the other three gospels. In fact, one of the themes, and there are many that run through John, but one of those themes is the Holy Spirit. And he continues to talk about this in this gospel of John. Today we're going to listen to the words of Jesus. So read with me chapter, 25, uh, chapter 14. Verse 25 through 27, Jesus started out talking about um, uh, he, was, he was going to go away, and then he sort of talked a little bit about he was the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And he talked about um, the Father was living in him, and he was living in the Father. And then he gets here to chapter 20 or verse 25. And listen to the words he says. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus acknowledges that He's going to send the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a real being. First thing I want you to think about is that the Bible bears witness to the Holy Spirit. You know, in John 4, 24, it says, God is Spirit. So God is a spiritual being. 
2 Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord is spirit. That word spirit is used 563 times in our Bible. About 200 in the Old Testament, the rest 300 plus in the New Testament. And so they're most of the time referred to the Holy Spirit. Although it doesn't always put the word holy in front of it, uh, in your NIV Bible it will be a capital S spirit. Sometimes it refers to an evil spirit, which will be a small s, or it will refer to the spirit of a man inside a man. It will be a small s when it does that. There are evil spirits out there, as I said earlier. But the Holy Spirit is the third person in what we call the Trinity, which make up the Godhead. That is the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so the three are one God. God makes these three reveal Himself to people here on earth. And the Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God here on this earth. Listen to some of these scriptures. I made a list of a few. Some people don't even recognize that the Holy Spirit was mentioned in the Old Testament, but He was. You can go all the way back to the life of Moses, and it says that the Spirit of the Lord was on Moses. In Numbers eleven seventeen, God uh, Moses was being overwhelmed by leading the, the uh, Israelite people, and God said to him, I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. Talking about 70 leaders that he wanted Moses to choose. In Isaiah 42, 1, speaking of the nation of Israel, he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I put my Spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. He's talking to Israel. In Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit on you, that is Israel, and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. You know, in Old Testament times, sometimes God took the spirit away as well. Remember King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14? It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. He was the first king of Israel, and he did some things that God was not happy with. In the book of Joel, uh, there is an Old Testament prophecy that points forward to the time when the Messiah, the Christ, would come and rule over the people and, and be God's Savior of the people. In Joel 2.28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. We move forward into the New Testament. Acts 2.38, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, tells us, Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. Matthew eleven eighteen 18 says, The birth of Jesus came about through the Holy Spirit. Matthew three eleven, Jesus will baptize believers with the Holy Spirit. Matthew three sixteen says, The Spirit came on Jesus at His baptism. And Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. Over and over again, 
in the Scripture. Jesus references this Holy Spirit. The apostles talk about the Holy Spirit. So definitely the Bible bears witness to the Holy Spirit. Second thing I want you to see is that the work and the evidence of the Holy Spirit are experienced. You know, the Bible is very clear about the works of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit works in the life of the believer to help them to be what God wants them to be. First thing I want you to notice is He convicts people of sin. John 16, 8 says, I will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. Some translations say, I will convict the world about their sin. You know, before a person has uh, becomes a believer in Jesus, they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The, the Spirit works from the outside, and His primary job is to convict you of your sin. Why is that? Because, first of all, we're all sinners. And secondly, until we come to grips with that and recognize that I am a sinner unworthy of God, that I don't realize I need a Savior. I don't need realize I need forgiveness. But once I realize the sin in my life, and I say, oh, I've offended God, I need help. And when we believe in Christ, He takes away our sin, brings forgiveness, and guess what? Sends the Holy Spirit to now dwell in our hearts, to dwell inside of us and help us. Again, I point you to Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? So, when we live with this Holy Spirit, He will first of all bring conviction on us, about sin. Secondly, he provides godly discernment. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So this Holy Spirit will bring to you the power of discernment. That is, the ability to understand and process what God wants you to know and the ways of God, and the truth of God. He helps us differentiate between the ways of the world and the ways of the Lord. Then, leads us to truth. John 15, 26 says, calls him the Spirit of truth, referring to the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus said, He will guide you into all truth. Are, are you starting to see how this Holy Spirit will work in your life? He will bring conviction of sin. He will give you the power to discern the ways of God. He will lead you into the truth of God. We need to see that this Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. He wants to draw us to God and help us see the truth of God. You know what? I was, I was reading an article this week. It was titled, TV Commercials Promote the Opposite Values of Jesus. The average American watches about 30 
hours of TV a week. Now, this is the average American. Um, some people watch more, some people watch less. If you add all that up, that would be about 65 days spent per year watching TV. Sometimes I wish I could just sit down and watch TV for 65 days. But in doing that, uh, a person who graduates from high school will have seen 360,000 TV commercials. If you live to age 65 and you watch the average number of hours of TV, you will have seen over 2 million commercials. And you know what all those commercials are doing? Those commercials are using images, catchy music, humor, memorable slogans to tell you that if you want happiness, get this product. You know, you don't see any commercials that say, don't buy this product, it's terrible. Unless they're talking about one of their competitors. You know, they say, get this. If you get this, life is just going to be great. You know, there's a Lincoln commercial, and, and uh, Matthew McConaughey's on that Lincoln commercial, and I think he says something about, oh, where, where do you find peace? Well, you just got to have a Lincoln. That's where you're going to find it at. Just drive in a Lincoln, and, and all your worries will go away. And that's what they want you to believe. You know, if you, if you base your worldview on TV commercials, the Beatitudes in the Bible could be rewritten something like this. Blessed are those who fly on luxury vacation spots on tropical islands. They will lie in chase lounge chairs. The only two people on an enormous white beach. They shall be satisfied. Or blessed are those who have the latest smartphone. They shall gaze on screens with amazing color and they shall get the information they need just when they need it and they shall be satisfied. Or blessed are those who have outstanding videos of their kids and they are blessed to have a golden retriever bounding along in the park and to show these videos on Facebook so all of their friends will be envious of their lives, and they shall be satisfied. You know, we're being bombarded with this idea that if we just go the way of the world, you're going to find the satisfaction that you need. The Spirit has a different idea. The Spirit will lead us into God's truth, to His discernment, to conviction of the things that we don't need in our lives. But that's not all the Spirit does. The Spirit helps bring maturity. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and 1 Peter 1 verse 2 talk about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Um, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the Spirit and the word the Bible, work together to bring about this sanctification in our lives. Now, what is sanctification? It's a process we go through of being made holy. Which to be holy means you're set apart for God, you're devoted to God, and you become sinless if you're totally holy. Now, you know and I know none of us are totally sinless. We all have 
flaws. No one brings glory to God the way we should. The only way we can be made holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sin and brings forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. It's sort of like we're under this umbrella when we commit our lives to Christ. The umbrella of grace covers us so that positionally we are free from sin, but you and I both know we all still sometimes stumble. We all still sometimes fall into sin. That's not permission. That's not an excuse for it, but it happens. But the Holy Spirit works to bring about this sanctification, not just positionally, but in a practical way. It works to help you grow and to mature so that you eventually grow to be less and less sinful as you go through this world. You know what else the Spirit does? There's a number of things. Acts 20, verse 22 talks about it compels us. It sort of nudges us to go away. God wants us to go. It warns us. It pours out God's love into our lives. It gives us life, the Bible says. It leads us. It, it testifies. It helps us in weakness. It intercedes when we don't know how to pray before God. It gives us access to the Father. It gives us spiritual gifts, that is, abilities, that we can use to serve God in His kingdom. So it brings about maturity in our lives. Lastly, it produces godly fruit. Uh, if you've ever been to church camp, you probably memorized Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And that Bible verse says, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are attributes that the Spirit works to develop in your life. And as we as we let that Spirit work in our lives, we find ourselves having more love and more joy and more peace and more patience and being better people and kinder and, and more faithful and more gentle as we deal with other people and having more self-control to overcome the sins of the world. So it produces that fruit in us so we are more holy and we're more godly as we deal with the world. You know, a couple years ago, I learned something about eagles and birds of prey, eagles and hawks and such. And when they fly, they have learned how to soar. Now, you take a bird like a duck or a goose, they don't know how to soar. They just flap their wings to keep themselves going, and they constantly have to flap their wings. So they can't fly as far as an eagle can or as fast. But eagles have learned, and hawks, they have learned that there are these air currents. They're hot air. They're called thermals. And they rise up, and if they find one of those thermals, they can rise because hot air rises. They can get over that and spread their wings without even flapping and they will be able to rise and fly farther without expending as much energy. They also fly faster when they soar. And especially when they start a downward turn to go attack their prey. They soar down without flapping their wings. And so they've, they've learned to depend on these 
these thermals, these heat currents that raise them up. The Holy Spirit's kind of like that. If you can learn to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in your Christian walk, it will help you rise. In fact, in Isaiah it says, we will rise on wings like eagles. And we can learn to soar in our spiritual lives by trusting in the Holy Spirit. Lastly, living by the Spirit leads to the realm that God desires. Now, you have a choice. You don't have to live by the Spirit. You can claim to be a Christian and reject that the Holy Spirit is even real. You can reject that if you want to. The Bible talks about those uh, who resist the Holy Spirit because He wants to lead you into uh, conviction of sin and discernment and truth and maturity and, and producing godly fruit. But some people don't want to do that. But just because we're believers, God doesn't force His Holy Spirit on us. He sends it to dwell inside of us, but we don't have to follow it. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Because there's a whole chapter, pretty much, or at least a half a chapter, that talks about life through the Spirit. And in this chapter, beginning at verse 5, this is what the author says. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now, when he says flesh, he's talking about the ways of the world. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And that's a capital S. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in a few, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That Spirit will help us if we seek Him out and if we let Him work in our lives. Verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption as sonship. The Spirit brings about your adoption. You're part of the family of God. And by Him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You see how the Spirit works? He wants to work in your life. But you have to learn to let that Spirit work 
And he does work in conjunction with God to bring about the kind of life that God wants for you, which will be the best life. I was reading this week about a, uh, uh, a preacher back in the mid-20th century name of Hamilton. And Hamilton told a story about watching a police officer direct traffic in a busy New York intersection. And traffic was just coming all ways. And this police officer noticed over to the side there was a cat, and she had a kitten in her mouth. And she was trying to cross the road, and she would step down off the curb, and then a car would come along, and she would jump back. And then she would step down, and a car would come, she'd jump back. And over and over, finally the police officer just raised his hands, and he stopped all the traffic. And the cat, oblivious to what the police officer had done, ran across the road, ran down the street, and turned down an alley. Some of us are like that cat. You know, that cat was oblivious to the fact that the police officer had helped him at all. You know, the cat didn't get halfway across the intersection and say, Meow, thank you, Mr. Police Officer. Appreciate it. Of course, he did have a kitten in his mouth. He's oblivious. And some of us are oblivious to the work of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit dwells in you. He wants to help you, wants to guide you and wants to take you into the future that God has for your life. Here's our connection point. The Holy Spirit is real and is provided to help guide believers in their journey as they follow Christ. You know, being a believer in Christ is not a one-time event where we just say, okay, Jesus, I believe, and we go about our life. No, it's a journey of a lifetime where God works in our lives to lead us into the best life we could possibly have. And the Spirit is there to guide us in the ways of God. Now, life can sometimes be difficult. I know it can. And there are voices out there screaming at us, TV commercials, if you will, trying to pull us away and tell us this is the way to happiness, when in reality, the way the Spirit leads us to God is the way of true happiness in our lives. Satan, in fact, his voice is strong. You know, the Bible says he sometimes masquerades as an angel of light. And you may think that's good that you're leading to when it doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's the checkpoint. That it's not the Spirit of God. And sometimes the waters get muddy about the way we should go. You know, I was reading this week, but sometimes people will hear a song. Maybe you've done this. I know I've done it. And you will think you're singing along the words of that song, but you'll find out one day those weren't the right words I was singing. That's especially embarrassing when you sing out loud and somebody hears you. You know, maybe the person next to you, and you realize, I didn't sing what they sang. But there's a reason for that. Here's an example of it. There's a Taylor Swift song, Blank Space. And in that song, a lot of people think it says, got a long list of ex-lovers. But what it actually says is, all the lonely Starbucks lovers. And people misinterpret what it says. But there have been some studies done. Uh, Mark Lieben, uh, professor of linguistics at the University of Pennsylvania, explains the phenomenon. There's a name for it. It's called mono-degrees. Mono-degrees. 
And that is that we misinterpret. And here's why it happens. Because your brain doesn't work fast enough. And it gets muddled by, the words get muddled by background music, by rhythms, by syllabification, the pace of the song. And so we don't get, our brain doesn't take in all the words properly and we interpret it wrong. You know, there's a lot of stuff coming at us throughout the world. Uh, we, we hear all kinds of voices coming at us, and if we're not careful, we can interpret wrong. But with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God working together, we can get the message that God wants us to have. Remember what Jesus said in verse 26 in John 14, the Spirit will teach and remind you of all that I have said. And then verse 27 makes a lot of sense. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And we can go through this world with the greatest peace and the greatest uh, uh, energy if we have that spirit working in our lives to lead us and guide us. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the work of the Spirit. Help us to be more in tune to it, to turn our spiritual radar on and to, to listen for that Spirit to work in our lives and to guide us. Maybe it'll just come as a, a still, small voice or maybe a conviction that turns us or maybe a realization that we're not following the truth. But Father, help us. And as we study your Word, it even leads us more to... Spirit will help us to discern what that word says. And so we pray that you would help us to be people of the book, of the word, and of the spirit as we live our lives. And as that fruit is produced in our lives, that we will bring more glory and honor to you. We lift it up to you today. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, we pray.